All right, so this morning we're in Matthew chapter 12. So we're in the Gospel of Matthew. And um, the title of this morning's message is The Sabbath and the Servant. The Sabbath and the Servant. Let's start out by, let's, let's stand up and we're going to read just the first eight verses of this chapter and then we'll get into the message itself. So, so the Sabbath and the Servant, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if he had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." Father, we ask for your blessing upon our time together in your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us to better see and understand your character and how it is that there are many things that we can do that on the surface they look good, make us look good. But Lord, there's nothing, they're nothing more than just plain dead rituals things that really display our hypocrisy. And I pray this morning that you would help us to understand that you prefer compassion over rituals, mercy over sacrifice. Lord, help us to understand what that means for our own, our own lives. And Lord, that you are the only one who we are to look to, to glorify and to please. Not man, but you, our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so the Sabbath and the servant. What we have before us this morning are two situations on one day regarding the Sabbath or the day of rest. The Sabbath itself was made out to be a really big, 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 big deal by the religious leaders of the day. And they were in no way going to allow some activity that was unauthorized by their laws to go unnoticed noticed and unaddressed, like just to kind of slip by the cracks. They were going to address them. You see, what we have before us is in addition to the law of Moses, it was the oral law that was given and passed down through the religious leaders of the time. These religious leaders were considered to be opponents of Jesus Christ, as we see there, there in Scripture quite clearly. They were not on the same page as Jesus. They really did not understand the Sabbath and taught those who were ready to learn, those who were listening, that is, Jesus was teaching, those who were ready 
to listen. Every time we come on Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or any time we come to a Bible study, we should come with a heart that's absolutely pliable, moldable, that's open to hear the truth of God's Word and to apply it to our lives, to yield to His truth. What they didn't understand is that they were putting their laws above the people or on the people as burdens. And by doing so, they were laying these heavy weights that they had to carry. Jesus, once again, is explaining for better understanding, for clarity. Jesus had just said that his yoke is easy in Matthew chapter 11, in the previous chapter. His yoke is easy and his burden is light and invited all those who labor and were heavy laden to come to him and find rest in him. And Jesus also, in those words, gave an invitation for people to learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart. Immediately we see this in action. As Jesus is now clarifying, he's teaching and explaining the more excellent way of handling the Sabbath, what it means, declaring who he is, and that mercy is preferred over sacrifice. What all this means and how this all applies to us today is what's of greatest importance. Because to simply look over Scripture and kind of have an intellectual understanding of it is really of no benefit to us if we don't apply it to our lives, if it doesn't do something for us in some way. And so that's what I pray for us this morning. That as we get an understanding of these words of Jesus, as he's teaching, as he's clarifying that for us, it's applicable. And we learned this morning, the Sabbath and the servant. So again, in the first eight verses, we see how it is that the Lord Jesus, he says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Again, beginning in verse one, reading through one more time, at the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Who wouldn't do that, right? It's like food is right there. I am hungry. (laughs) I want to eat that food, whether it be berries or grain, and that's what they were doing. We're not told why they were walking through the fields on that specific day. All we know is that they were doing just that, and they were hungry as they were going through, and they were beginning to pluck the heads of grain and eat them. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So right away, the Pharisees pointed out, hey, this isn't lawful. And by the way, your disciples are doing that that very thing that breaks the law. They're pointing it out to Jesus. He was their master, their teacher. He was their leader. And so they pointed this out to Jesus. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? That's an odd statement, you know, because they were all about the law. And they did this on a weekly basis. Uh, Just in Numbers chapter 28, which we covered on Wednesday, we actually saw this, how it was that that the Lord had... Uh, commanded these things to be done, the sacrifices. There were daily sacrifices. Uh, there were uh, daily sacrifices in the morning as well as in the, in the evening at twilight. But then there was also 
uh, the sacrifices of the Sabbath, which were doubled. So every seven days, so there was a daily and a, uh, weekly sacrifices that were all commanded by the Lord. So it's odd for them to hear how it is that the very thing that God has commanded in the law to do, and through that, by their own oral laws, they were violating. So you've got to think about these things. Again, as I've said, I think last week Christianity is, is a faith in which we need to think. We need to think through. It, it, it's, not, it's not a lazy faith at all. He continues in verse 6. He says, I tell you, something greater than he than the temple is here. And if he had known what this means, again, he's implying that they were ignorant of what it meant, right? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's also establishing authority here, very clearly. He's telling them, hey, listen, you don't really fully know what's going on here. And number two, he's saying that you've condemned those who are actually guiltless. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, that we're going through this morning, is connected to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. By the contrast between the yoke of discipleship and the yoke of the law, and by the subject of rest. Simply put, Jesus' disciples, again, were hungry, as we have before us, right? They went through the field on the Sabbath, they plucked some grain, and they ate it. The issue was not the act itself, by the way. It was not stealing or even trespassing that they were being, that they were being accused of. No, the issue was the day on which they picked and ate the grain. That was what the Pharisees had issue with. They were pointing out that this was unlawful. So, was it eating? No. Walking through the field? No. Their violation of the law was that they were, number one, they were working, basically. They were reaping. They were, secondly, threshing. Thirdly, winnowing. And fourthly, preparing food. I, I would hardly think that this would be all of those things. Violation four. You just violated four laws by picking the heads of grain and eating them. Yeah, odd, right? There were some pretty crazy ways in which the religious leaders made the people observe the Sabbath. Pharisees and the scribes of the time uh, were ones who led this, and then also the rabbis of later times. They handed these oral laws down through the generations. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, people could not carry something in his right hand, nor in his left hand, nor across his chest. Or his shoulder. But they could carry something on the back of their hand, or on their elbow, or on their foot, or on the hem of their shirt, or in their shoe or sandal. Try that, right? It's like weird exceptions. These are really odd. On the Sabbath, you were also forbidden to <laughs> tie a knot. You, so I'm sorry, you, you, can't, you can't tie a knot. But with one exception, a woman could tie a knot on her girdle. Listen, Jesus and his disciples were not violating God's Sabbath. Odd things, right? 
And, and there's a way to get around it all. Like I, I pointed out how it is that, uh, you know, they were not allowed to, to count uh, the people. And so there's the joke, the running joke, to where they would, they would do it in this manner. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, because they weren't really counting, right? It's just, just very... They violate their own laws in very odd ways. But we know that Jesus and his disciples were not violating God's Sabbath command, but he was breaking man's additions to the law. Jesus was using this situation to teach the people something very important. Number one, Jesus' argument is made through the examples of David and his men as they were fleeing from Saul and they came into the place where the priests, the tabernacle, would sacrifice and, and worship and, and, uh, and serve the Lord, and they ate from the bread of the presence. And also, there was this other obvious example that they had before them. Hey, listen, consider the priests. On the Sabbath, you know what they do? They kindle fires, they slaughter and prepare animals, they actually lift animals onto the altar. That was forbidden by their laws. And so much more. And in fact, just as I had said earlier, the sacrifices actually doubled on the Sabbath. So it was like their work increased on that day. And Jesus was making the point that these were justified in doing what they did. They were guiltless, is what he was saying. Secondly, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He made that abundantly clear, right? Jesus said he is greater than their beloved temple. Jesus said he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus said he desires mercy, not sacrifice. All speaking of his authority and all were shocking statements to the people of that day. The Jews honored and valued the temple, even though it did not contain the Ark of the Covenant, nor the Shekinah glory of the Lord. But Jesus was before them, and they knew not who he was. The new covenant was before them, a covenant of grace, and Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. But the question is, what does it mean that the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice? After all, again, sacrifice is the very thing that God has commanded. Jesus was basically pointing out one thing that was very important even for us to understand, and that is hypocrisy. Love for God was the number one priority for the people of Israel. And yet, even though they were externally practicing piety, they were not displaying a love toward God. The Lord longed for people and still longs today for people to long for Him, to desire Him above all else. Instead of simply participating in these ritualistic sacrifices in obedience to the law. Like we can go through the motions and really not express a, a love for the Lord, a desire for Him to please Him and praise Him and give Him worship. We can go through the motions. And after a while, that is how you get burnt out in your service to the Lord. And you think, man, I have to take a break. I'm, I'm done. And the whole reason for that is because we're doing it in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons. We don't understand that the very thing that we're offering to the Lord is, is, 
is a response to the love that he's already demonstrated to us. The grace that he's poured out upon us that he demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not a burden. It's not overwhelming. It's not heavy. Jesus' words are clear in saying that he was the fulfillment of the fourth commandment. And that there was no longer a need for it to be observed literally. In fact, hold your place there and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. So we have the Gospels and Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then we get through to Colossians. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 is where we're going. And I want to see this together. Because we need to understand what it was that, that Jesus was, was proclaiming here. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, he's a fulfillment of it. This is all a shadow. The, the things that we see in the Old Testament, that's why it's exciting to get to understand and know the Old Testament. Because as, as you go through, um, you quickly come to a place to where you're seeing the gospel come alive. A pointing forward to the New Testament in which these things were fulfilled. And it's, and it's beautiful. And Jesus is saying to them, if they would have understood at that point, I am the fulfillment of what you practiced on the Sabbath. I am your rest. In me you will find rest. If you're taking notes, you could also jot down Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Verses 9 through 14, back in Matthew chapter 12, we see how it is that Jesus also declared that it was lawful to do good. And we'll, we'll see here what that means. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, he goes on and says, He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched, out, stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. All right, so... Jesus went into a Jewish synagogue, the religious leaders of the time, um, and who were present. Um, they wanted to trap Jesus, accuse him, to have something against him, to find him guilty of violating the law and convict him. Jesus immediately is given the opportunity to illustrate the point of God desiring mercy, that is compassion, over ritual with a question about healing on the Sabbath. It's like, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, because he immediately 
was given the opportunity to illustrate what he had just spoken about. First, the attack was on Jesus' disciples, and now this opposition is squarely brought against Jesus himself. This question and whole situation is interesting because the question itself presupposes that the Pharisees believe that Jesus can heal this man. Sometimes those who are outside of the faith have more faith than we do. They're like, your Jesus can. And you're like, wow, you know, I, I, I know that the word tells me that, but I, I guess I have some doubt. There's a lot of unbelievers that actually believe that these are the things that w- ought to be according to our faith. The Pharisees, in their statement and question, it's implied that they believe that Jesus can heal this man. Keep in mind that Jesus had already raised a girl from the dead, healed a woman of her flow of blood that she had for 12 years, healed two blind men, and healed a mute man. Back in chapter, what was it, 10? 9? 9. We already went through that. So there were no shortages of examples of Jesus' ability to heal. It was well known. It was well known already that he could, and he has. So another Sabbath question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus answered with a question to help them think a little. It was a, a parable, an illustration. The parable that Jesus answered with had to do with the ridiculous inconsistency in their oral law, which permits the rescue of an animal from a pit, but not the healing of a person whose life was not in danger. So today, hey, listen, your life was, it's not in danger, and so therefore you, the healer, are prohibited from healing this, this person because it's a Sabbath, simply where it's, it's the day. You, you can't do that. So, I'm not sure if uh, if the hospitals know that, but that's what they're saying. You cannot heal, but you can rescue an animal from a pit in which they have fallen into. This man obviously his his life was not in danger, and therefore it was not urgent for Jesus to heal this man. He could have healed him on another day. He could have observed the Sabbath in that manner. And instead, you know what? Tomorrow's another day. We're going to go ahead and do it tomorrow. Um, he could have waited, but he didn't. Jesus' answer was more than just a simple challenge of the oral law, but rather a pronouncement that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And healing was good. Again, the Lord desires mercy, not sacrifice, compassion over ritual. He's expressing his authority. He's making a clear proclamation that on this day, it is good to heal this man. A day of rest is good, but the cessation of doing good is not good. There is always some good to do on the Sabbath, and totally stopping labor is not appropriate. Who wouldn't agree that physical rest is good? What we need to understand, though, is that Jesus is our eternal spiritual rest. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus contrasts the value of animals with the value of humans, with people. 
states that people are of greater value than animals, and then makes the authoritative declaration that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And, and then, immediately he turns and he heals this man. It's interesting that nowhere in the New Testament do we see that Sunday or Saturday is to be kept in observance of the Sabbath. Try that out. You won't find it. In fact, the early church forbade the stopping of labor, of work on the Sabbath because they determined that doing so would be Judaizing or the requirement of Christians to observe the law of Moses which is contrary to what had been determined by the church to not place, and I quote, a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. If we continue on in the book of Acts, in 15, chapter 15, verses 28 and 29, it says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit, to God, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, so no idolatry, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. So he's talking about uh, idolatry, um, the worship of false gods, and also, of course, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And he says, farewell, that's it, period. We're done. No mention of anything else. It is to be observed. Modern Sabbatarianism is largely the legacy of Puritan legalism. Today, just as then, our main focus should be the gathering of people for fellowship and worship in order to minister, be refreshed, and allow the Lord to minister to us by His Word and by His Holy Spirit. That is why we gather together. It's like, we, we don't, for us as, as Christians, um, New Testament believers, we can worship on any, any day. We can worship, we can, we can shift Sundays to another day, and we could still be within the bounds of our worship to the Lord according to the Word of God. We get together on Wednesday. There's nothing that says in the Word of God that we can't get together on Wednesday. Or on any other day. There was a reason why it was that in the first few centuries of the church, that for Christians, listen, you're going to work all the way through. You're going to do good on every day of the week. We're not going to restrict you. Because to do so would go, go back to legalism, to needing to observe these things in order to be in the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't do anything to be in His graces. No works. Nothing. So that we may not be able to boast, but only in the grace of Jesus Christ. So obviously the Pharisees did not like Jesus' answer to the question that, uh, that they posed and concerns that they had provided Jesus with regarding the Sabbath. And so they left. They left and they were trying to figure out how it was that they could destroy Jesus. As it says in the last verse here, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And that's how it is with the enemy. If he can't, <clears throat> if he can't win an argument, a debate, what the enemy will normally try and do is try and destroy you. 
try and just completely rip you apart. And that's what they were doing with Jesus in that day. And then we see our servant Savior, verses 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Our servant Savior. Jesus again had previously made this statement, My yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And what we have here is an illustration of this proclamation. Jesus knew what the Pharisees were conspiring to do, and it wasn't yet his time to go to the cross, and so he simply left. He didn't insist on being there and continuing to make his point, but he, he left, he departed. Upon leaving, he had great compassion on the people. And it says here that he healed, he healed them all in, in that moment. Does he heal everyone? And the answer is no, he does not heal everyone. But in that moment, he healed, he healed everyone. He had compassion on them. And he gave them the command to not make him known at the time. It's not yet his time. And to get the word out to even more people would mean that there would be more opposition coming against him. And, And he knew perfectly exactly what was going on. And so he commanded them not to make him known these things. The father-servant is, he's amazing because just previously, we saw how it was that he, he met face on the opposition that came against him. He answered very clearly those who were accusing his disciples that was interceding on their behalf, explaining to the religious leaders of the time, which knew the law very well, what it really meant to clarify, to explain to them. And so what we see here is that the servant's not a pushover. He doesn't fold under the pressures of opposition, and yet he has great compassion for the people. He serves through his constant love, his care, his guidance, and as I've already pointed out, how was that even in the previous interaction, he was interceding for his disciples. And he does that for us today. He intercedes for us. Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart, meaning that he was not overpowering. He wasn't overwhelming. And if you notice, Jesus spoke the truth and made an impression upon others by the Spirit of God, which was upon him. And we know that according to Scripture. Now, this is what he knows of you and I. He knows our past. He knows what's going on today. And he doesn't lead us with a heavy weight, but with a burden that is light, a yoke that is easy. He brings us along. What we have before us here is, is just a, 
a further understanding of that gentleness. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He handles people gently, tenderly, and he will help them to be strengthened and even reach the proper flame. How is it that a lamp, old lamps, right? How is it that, you know, as it begin to die off, what's necessary is that the wick be brought up, it be cleaned up a bit, trimmed. But even if that's done, there, there's something that needs to be a part of that lamp in order for it to burn brightly. And what is that? It's oil, right? Oil. What is oil representative of in the Bible? The Spirit. The Spirit of God. And so the Lord tells, as we ask Him, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. It, it's, a, it's something that as He pours His Spirit out upon us, we are softened by His Spirit. We are strengthened by His Spirit. And as we are softened, as we are strengthened by His Spirit, we are therefore to be a brighter light to the world around us, which is dark. We are encouraged by Him. And He doesn't do it by force. He does it always by invitation. He offers His Word to us. He offers that intimacy to us. And it is for us to receive that intimacy, to receive that time of devotion with Him. And by doing so, He built His people up. The passage in Isaiah predicts that God's servant will bring justice, but not by force or by violence. Jesus proclaims very clearly, clearly that He prefers compassion over ritual. Mercy is much better and that He is the fulfillment of the fourth commandment. That's what we've seen. He closes out this section as we will continue on next week um, to you know, the rest of the chapter. But He closes out this section by encouraging not only Jews but Gentiles that there will be hope and victory known through Him. And he also expresses very clearly that he is gentle and lowly in heart. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he deals with us in an appropriate manner, in tender ways, in a perfect gentleness. He applies those things which we need by him to our lives. Jesus is both our rest and he is also our Savior that still serves us even today as he intercedes on our behalf before the Father. And finally, Jesus is our hope in a world that offers no lasting hope. Jesus comes and proclaims that anyone who comes to him will find rest and hope in the saving grace he offers by faith in him. And so the question that I want to close with is, do you know that rest? Do you know that hope? You made it very clear that rest was found in 
is to be found in him today as it was in that day. Do you know that rest? We know that to find that rest and to know that is to simply confess our sins to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness and to ask him to be our Lord and Savior. We know that the Bible says that there's none righteous. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised, us, raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. And so it's simply a surrender to Jesus Christ and a receiving of forgiveness of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you that question. Do you know that peace? Do you know that rest? And do you know that hope? And I pray that you do. This morning, if you don't, I would say in the closing prayer, and you do desire to have that rest and that peace in Christ, that you would simply cry out to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, and He will meet you right where you are. He is gentle and lowly in heart. And no matter how difficult things are up to this point or how hard you've had it, He wishes to come alongside and help you through and understand how it is that all the answers lie in Him. And ultimately, He gives you the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So we can say, as the Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To know that when this life is done, that we will, at that point, begin all eternity in His glory. And that is by grace, again, by expressing our faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, and He died for our sins. Three days later, He was resurrected, and He ascended, and today sits at the right hand of the Father. And so I pray that for each and every one of us. Let's find rest in Him. Let's know that rest. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we can, Lord, know a peace which surpasses all understanding that rests in your Son, Jesus Christ, as we express and proclaim a surrender to him, a faith in him. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here, Lord, that has been unrestless, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation that they would simply cry out to you and, and receive that gift, the gift of salvation, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you, Father, for your indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.